Coming up on podcast 1901, the BMW M3 EV, a new Tesla Powerwall, and EU tariffs on Chinese EVs. Stick around, I'll tell you more. Welcome to a new Patreon producer, Jeff Ball. Jeff, thank you for signing up a couple of weeks ago. I really appreciate your support. I couldn't do this work without you and devote the time that I now do to this podcast to spread the word around the world about electric vehicles. Jeff, you are a legend. Thank you, sir. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to EV News Daily, your trusted source of EV information for Thursday, the 14th of September. My name is Martin Lee, and I go through every EV story so you don't have to. We go live at 5pm UK, midday Eastern. Patreon supporters get the episodes as soon as they're ready and ad-free. Be like them by clicking on that link you'll just see just there in your podcast show notes. We'll start with the legendary BMW M3, set to electrify. Going fully electric, Frank Weber, who is BMW's product development chief, confirmed the M3 EV. A global launch of 2027, underpinning this new iteration, is their new class platform, which is due for a 2025 release. And it's all about harnessing the power of four electric motors, a formidable one megawatt of power. 1,000 kilowatts is about 1,340 horsepower. And not just about the power, though. The new class platform is all about uh, better battery performance, 30% more range, 20% faster charging, 25% in over overall vehicle efficiency gains. But of course, you're talking M3, legendary M3, not out for a few years. I know that. Uh, But just another example of how these uh, hopefully legendary names in combustion world will be adopted in EV world. They're not going to rename it or it's going to use that brand. They've built up the, the M badge as they've been doing already with their electric vehicles. But if the if the petrol heads, if the combustion heads aren't persuaded by 1,300 horsepower, and of course all the digital toys that you can do with electric motors, so dialing that that to, you know rear wheel bias or front wheel bias, all that kind of low down weight because of the centre of gravity, if they're not convinced by that. They never will, and that's okay. Right, we'll talk about Ionity, the European fast charging network. Big announcement this week. Uh, just hearing news about a deal they've done with Village Hotel Chains. There's a village near me, actually, a Bournemouth, the, uh, the flyover as you come into Bournemouth. There's a village there. My wife, Emma, has used it a couple of times. She's kind of got spa deals on those group buy websites, and it's really cheap, so she gets, ends up going there. I wonder if that'll be one of the locations for the new Ionity charging hub. They're going to be at 33 village hotel locations from next year. A combined total of another 380 ultra-fast charge points, or HPCs, welcoming hotel guests and, of course, the public as well. Every hotel location will be equipped with 12 charging stations following Ionity's standard pricing model as well and the standard practice of using 350 kilowatt chargers with work completing at the end of next year. The first of those sites will open in April of next year. What do you think about this news? What do you think about putting fast chargers at hotels? Ah, to me, and feel free to tell me I'm wrong, a hotel feels like I would book a hotel based on it having, you know, 20 or 30 parking spaces with 7 kilowatt or 11 kilowatt charging. Putting the kind of chargers in that will can, you know, they can charge, they, you can recharge a, an 800 volt car uh, and, you know, a Hyundai or a Kia, etc. in 18 or 20 minutes. 
Why is that in a hotel car park? Unless these hotels are on motorways, and, that, and certainly the village hotel here in Bournemouth is not on a main road. Uh, it's genuinely how I feel. I'm really sorry. Okay, let's talk a little bit. Hey, there's two stories here uh, that aren't necessarily about the cars that we drive, but will certainly have a big impact on the cars that we drive. This first one is the European Commission. News coming into EV News Daily in the last couple of hours. I can confirm that the EU Commission's actually launched an inquiry into tariffs on Chinese EVs. They suspect the state subsidies are keeping prices low. As global markets become saturated with these cost-effective EVs, European car makers are facing a challenge. The mission to develop affordable electric cars and curb China's lead in producing consumer-centric models. The Chinese EVs are not only coming, but they're here. And they're now, to quote a phrase from a British TV show from the 1970s, but set during the Second World War, they don't like it up em. And the European car makers don't like it up them. They really don't like the Chinese arriving, they say, with unfair pricing. A testament to Chinese growing market share. The China Passenger Car Association reported a 31% increase in auto exports last month in August, following a 63% surge the previous month in July. Chinese EVs are making their mark in Europe. This year, 8% of new EVs sold in Europe are from Chinese brands, up from 6% the year before and 4% in 2021. NIO's founder emphasised the advantage the Chinese manufacturers hold, suggesting a 20% cost benefit over competitors like Tesla due to China's dominance over supply chains and raw materials. However, he also warned of possible protectionist policies from foreign governments and those like the European Union and the European Commission that will challenge the Chinese growth. That's one to watch. The other big one to watch is what's happening in the US right now. And that is a potential strike from the auto uh, United Auto Workers Union, which could really affect how many EVs get made over the next few weeks and possibly months. At first glance, the banner, the placard that I saw the those protesting holding up earlier today, which said, every auto job is a good job, is probably unrelated to electric vehicles. But if you actually, if I could show, if I was, if was a YouTube show, this should be a YouTube show, I know I'm bad. Um, it, it, it highlighted the word EV in every, every auto job is a good job. The EV was highlighted a different colour at the beginning of the word every, underscoring the industry's intrinsic link with electrification. This change reverberates through the contract negotiations as well. This isn't a strike that we're facing, actually, about electric vehicles, but the two are tied so close together. The primary discussion revolves around wages, benefits and job security, but the EV transition looms large. The United Auto Workers Union demands substantial hikes, citing automakers' profits and CEO pay. They sought 40% raises, a reintroduction of pensions and specific job security measures. Uh, I think they've lowered that to 36% now, their demand for their, their raise. Automakers, though, emphasise the financial strain of moving to EV. They wanted to generate big profits, they say, in order to fill the the war chest, if you like, with cash in order to fund the move to EV. The union says, but you're making profits, give us some of that. The silver lining of the shift, though, is the surge in battery plant jobs. Federal incentives spur the establishment of these facilities across the US. The UAW, however, faces challenges like the rise of these battery plants and nearly always joint ventures between the car makers and external companies 
which complicates how they those new battery plants could unionise. Additionally, many such plants are nestled in the right-to-work states in the South, highlighting the government's commitment. The Biden administration announced a $15 billion fund on Labor Day aimed at converting traditional car plants to EV-centric car plants to, initi- uh, to initiate, hopefully a favourable shift in this move to EV. The other, uh, Of course, the other big elephant in the room is Tesla, not directly involved in the UAW negotiations with GM, Ford and Stellantis. Tesla's non-unionised stature means that they're going to be a dominating presence over the next few weeks. If the UAW do indeed strike and EVs stop being made, they'll be Tesla's made every single day and that benefits that company. Tesla have a competitive edge. They pay lower wages and have fewer benefits. As the clock ticks towards the expiration of the current UAW contract with the big three, Thursday midnight is when we are looking at industry experts are predicting a simultaneous strike and a move that would cost 5.6 billion US dollars if it goes on pushing Michigan, Indiana and even Ohio towards a quarter-long recession. Now, the competition for legacy makers are also is also accentuated by this cost gap between what it costs to make an EV. Tesla's labor costs mean you can make an EV for about $45 or $50 per hour. The Detroit Giants spend about $64 to $67 per hour to make an electric vehicle. Ford boasts the highest UAW-employed workforce, faces a tightrope. The CEO, Jim Farley, remains committed to the sustainable future of Ford, emphasizing deals that don't jeopardize growth but also share the profit. And all the time, Tesla's outspoken CEO, Elon Musk, continues to be critical of unions and the UAW underscoring the recent union scandals and advocating for a union-free work environment. It's one to watch, fascinating to watch, actually. And I'll keep you updated on EV News Daily. Could it really impact how many electric vehicles get made in the, the remaining months of 2023 if a deal isn't done? Got some Tesla news coming up. We'll talk about the power walls and upgrades to S and X. We'll talk VinFast and what on earth is happening there. And the specs on that new Zika 001 FR, the supercar. Those details are coming up. Leave us turned on. And if you'd like your podcast ad-free, maybe you heard a couple of ads there, one or two, because you're listening to the free version of the show, and maybe that's okay and you don't mind. It's also how we get a little bit of money coming into the podcast, not a huge amount, to be honest. But you can get your pods ad-free by signing up to be a Patreon supporter. Those are the superheroes who put the show on the air every day, and you can do that at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Daily. One of the benefits of doing that is you get the podcasts first, but you also get them ad-free, which is pretty cool. Now let's talk about Tesla unveiling the Powerwall 3. We've seen them already installing them over the last couple of weeks in the US, but they hadn't actually (laughs) mentioned it. Now they have updated the specs on their website. It's got the same energy capacity as the previous Powerwall, 13.5 kilowatt hours. Notable upgrade in its power capacity, though, 11.5 kilowatts now. There's an integrated solar inverter accommodating up to six solar inputs, and Tesla emphasizes its design on an all-encompassing solar and battery system for home households, offering enhanced power in a single unit primed for easy expansion as your needs might evolve. The integrated solar inverter ensures the optimal solar efficiency, they say. Powerwall 2, though, I don't think is going away. That is still suitable, they say, for existing solar systems where you're adding just simply a battery to the setup with a different inverter provider. Uh, Tesla's approach seems to be Powerwall 3 for new 
integrated solar systems, Powerwall 2, sticking around for current installations where you're adding some battery capacity. Let's talk Tesla and Mexico. The state governor has been talking about Tesla building their factory there and its partners, along with Tesla, investing $15 billion into the area. The under-construction factory over the next two years uh, will then eventually start making what could possibly be the $25,000 Tesla vehicle, but, you know, don't hold your breath. That's actually in contrast to the $5 billion number that Elon Musk had previously announced. Now, everyone's kind of keeping their cards close to their chest regarding the specifics of this. What this could be is Tesla spending $5 billion, but also the suppliers. Now, obviously, if you are able to be a supplier to Tesla in Mexico, making a million vehicles a year or so, you want to be on the same you know, business park, the same geographic area. So what this governor in Mexico could be referring to here is not Tesla spending $15 billion, but simply that would be the benefits to the local economy. The Nuevo, uh, Nuevo Leon governor, Samuel Garcia, uh, clarifying that the commitment in the area has tripled, but I don't really know what that means. Is it Tesla's commitment? Is it the overall investment in the area has tripled? Not quite clear. But either way, you can't deny the likes of BMW, GM, Ford, Tesla, all signalling their intent to build EVs in Mexico, reflecting the industry's shift from fossil fuels to electric power in the area, but also because the costs of course, are a little bit lower if you make those EVs in Mexico. And finally, on Tesla today, they are enhancing their braking game in the US for Model S and Model X owners who can now get new higher thermal capacity brake pad kits for $750. And if you want, you can even get a red caliper kit for $2,700, which boasts the new brake pads, but also a new finish for the calipers on the front and just red covers for the rear. These upgrades promise a better pedal feel, more consistent braking, reduced brake fade, and one of my friends who runs out of spec, so Kyle from Out of Spec, if you've seen his videos on YouTube, he has a Model S plaid, and he says the vehicles are just incredible. He's a longtime Tesla owner, multiple Tesla owner. Uh, Kyle says the worst thing about the plaids is the braking is just not up to scratch, so perhaps this fixes it a little bit. For track enthusiasts, you can still get the track pack, which is 20000 dollars with the carbon silicon carbide rotors and the one-piece forged calipers, special brake fluid, etc., etc. for track action. Hey, let's talk VinFast. This story is kind of hilarious, but only because I'm not involved. Vietnamese car maker VinFast say they've sold 11,300 EVs this year, but nearly all of them have gone to a company called Green and Smart Motability. That is is actually an associated brand of theirs. They had to release this information as part of a filing now that they're a public company. It's a taxi company, like VinFast, operating under Vin Group's umbrella. So does it still count if you sell the cars to yourself? Uh, the intricate web deepens with the founder and the, the, the chairman, former chairman of Vin Group, Pham Nat Vuong. He has a controlling interest in VinFast of 99.7% of the now publicly traded VinFast stocks, although, of course, that's not because there's 0.3% of the stock available for market trading. They went public recently with one of these kind of reverse merger SPAC companies. On August the 28th, the stock soared so much that VinFast was worth 
$215 billion on the stock market. How is VinFast worth more than a BMW, for instance, or a Toyota or a VW? A company that appears to be selling it the cars that it makes to itself and where nearly all of the stock is held by just one person through multiple entities. Of course, it does place VinFast in a rather rare automotive industry position where you can criticise the legacy automakers themselves if you want to. If you're not a fan of the dealer model, I am. But um, you can say, well, it's you know they just sell the cars to the dealers and then the dealers hold them as stock. That's not really a sale until it ends up in a customer's driveway, whereas you know the direct sales is a sale. But is it a sale if you sell it to yourself? It made me smile because there's not there's no way in a million years that company is worth $215 billion as it was a couple of... That, that share price has fallen since. Now let's talk about Renault's E-Tech Traffic. That is a, a transit competitor, if you like, if you're not aware of what the Renault Traffic is like. All electric version coming to eight European countries. Home country of France, of course, as well as UK, Ireland, Belgium, Netherlands, Switzerland, Italy and Germany in three panel van configurations and two double cab styles, 90 kilowatt motor, 52 kilowatt hour battery, WLTP range of 297 kilometers. Not the most, but might be enough for what this vehicle will be used for. Could well be used for things like Amazon deliveries, etc. 22 kilowatt onboard AC charging, payload of 1.1 tons and towing of 920 kilograms. The Zika 001 FR is a supercar version of the Zika 001. And we now, thanks to a filing in China, get to find out more about it. Four electric motors, 155 kilowatt on the front axle and 300 kilowatt motors on the rear axle. But there's, I'd say, you know, four of them in total. It weighs 2,500 kilograms, top speed of 280 kilometers per hour. Battery is a CATL NMC pack, but I don't know the size of it. The regular Zika 001, the single motor variant, will do 0 to 60 miles an hour in 6.8 seconds. The dual motor will do it in 3.8 seconds. The Zika 001 FR, introduced on September 1st, will do it in 2.07 seconds. Uh, they say that in order to publish that 2.0 second. Uh, 2.07 second number they used what the uh, Tesla use which is to include rollout and also to include it on a sticky surface like a drag strippy type surface they said they don't necessarily agree with that methodology but if you are going to compare apples to apples that's the way Tesla do it and so they publish that number they say it's obviously a little bit slower if you just do it on a regular road and don't prep it and uh, it'll be a bit slower but if you do it the way tesla do it it's quicker than a plaid and so uh i I know elon hates to be beaten so we'll see if tesla respond those cars hit customers october 2023 so sometime next month that's just insane isn't it amazing right two more stories and florida is gonna mull over a $200 annual fee for EVs. A new bill, SB28, uh, for this next legislative session suggests a $200 yearly registration fee for EV owners in Florida beyond the standard charges. Historically, Florida has leaned on gas tax funds to support transportation. However, uh, an analysis by the Senate in 2023 highlighted the potential downturn uh, anywhere between 5% and 20% in Florida by 2040. So that it's a long term uh, because of EVs escalating and uh, trying to make up for lost revenues. And finally, if you have a vehicle with Android Auto, 
That's leveling up. They're adding some web conferencing, Android Auto. So that is not the full-on Android experience, but simply Android Auto. If you have that in your car, they're adding WebEx and Zoom, audio only. Earlier in May, if you have the native Android system like Volvos and Polestars, uh, kind of Google built in, they already added that and Microsoft Teams alongside as well. Now they're adding Prime Video to those cars. So the cars that run Android natively, Google natively, Renaults, Polestars, Volvos. They're adding Amazon Prime, which is pretty cool. And they're adding a web browser as well, a Chromium web browser. You get them from the Play Store app. You can only do that when the vehicle's in park. Also adding the Weather Channel app so that you can see the weather on your road trip. So if you're planning a journey, it'll update the weather according to where you're traveling to. That's very, very cool. And they're also adding digital keys, but only on specific Hyundai's Genesis's and Kia's, only in North America and Korea, and only with those with a certain Pixel or Samsung phone. So you've got to have the right car, the right phone, but you get a digital key. That's very cool. Hey, I thought I'd finish off by talking a little bit about the Chinese battery price war that could be coming. And this could be good news for consumers. China foresees an intense price showdown between its two big Chinese battery giants, CATL and BYD. CATL holds 43% of the Chinese battery market. BYD, about 30%. The rest lag far behind. BYD, though, is narrowing the gap with CATL in battery dominance, gaining market share so far this year, while CATL is losing it. And a price rivalry, the Chinese say, is likely imminent as CATL tries to fend off BYD. And that could be good because price drops end up with cheaper vehicles for you and I to buy. BYD started with batteries and became Chinese top uh, China's top EV producer last year, whereas CATL pivoted back in the day from consumer electronics to make EV batteries in 2017. But the battery tech also, there's a divide between them. BYD really focused on LFP cells for durability and resilience. CATL all about ternary uh, lithium batteries, lighter but better performance and often in higher spec vehicles. Last year, BYD's in-house production they say was about a 15% cost advantage over the likes of Tesla's China-produced Model 3 because they do it all in-house and they make the vehicles themselves as well. CATL introduced their own LFP super-fast charging battery recently, promising 400 kilometers range in 10 minutes. Industry consensus seems to suggest the price reductions could lead to consolidation in the battery industry, but also lower prices for consumers. Hey, that would be very interesting. Watch this space, as I seem to say a lot these days. And that's your podcast for today. Thanks to our premium partners, Phil Roberts of Electric Future, Porsche of The Village in Cincinnati, Audi of Cincinnati East, and Volvo Cars of Cincinnati East. National Car Charging on the US mainland and Aloha Charge in Hawaii, Derek Riley from Nevo.ie and the Nevo EV Review Island YouTube channel. Octopus Electroverse, Global public charging made simple with one app and one map and lease plan electric moments, providing all the tools and guidance EV drivers need. Have a good one. See you tomorrow. And remember, there is no such thing as a self-charging hybrid. <laughs>